What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Pain to Profits. I'm your host, Samson Chigoris, and every week we're bringing on entrepreneurs to impart their wisdom to help you guys save time and level up. And today I got Rob and Micah with Mighty Hand Construction to share their story about what it means to grow and build a faith-driven company. So guys, welcome to the show. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you much, Samson. Glad Thank to be here. Appreciate you guys a ton. So I think uh, it's helpful. Just frame it up. What's Mighty Hand Construction and what are you guys all about? Yeah. So Mighty Hand Construction, very unique very unique construction company, <laughs> yes. almost too unique at times, but we uh, do residential construction and commercial. We do remodels, additions, custom homes. Uh, but what makes us unique is we're not just fish on the sticker Christian company. We actually worship, pray for each other on Monday mornings, and we try to actually be the light um, and share that with people through construction. Um, and so we're kind of a quasi ministry within our business, um, but still want to reach all clients from all walks of life, both sides of the aisle. Um, so it's a really, really unique company in that regard. Um, yeah, we're seeking to just bring integrity back to contracting and construction. And a lot of people are doing that and doing it well. But then obviously you have the horror stories of so many contractors not doing right by their clients that are cutting corners and there's no shortcuts as we you know learn from <laughs> yeah. pain to profits. And we're just really trying to get our guys to understand that, train them to do quality work, issue warranties that are above national average standards. And I mean, it, it turns out if you actually do good work and take care of your customer, they give you referrals and reviews and come back for more. So it's been an amazing journey growing from Micah, myself and his brother to now 30 employees. And uh, man, the sky's the limit. Well, there's been a lot of hardships I'm sure we're going to talk about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, family owned and operated construction company practicing integrity in all we do. Yeah, I love that. You know, I uh, I never felt like my calling was to be in ministry. Right? Do you pastor as well? Do you actually lead? Yeah, we both pastor. <laughs> Spirit and we're truth. Bi- <laughs> bi- vocational pastors. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, you know, it's interesting because I I thought for myself personally that that meant hey, I had to give up these other things that I was supposed to do. And the deeper I've gone in my faith, and the more that I've actually studied the Word every single one of the disciples was an entrepreneur when you really stop and look at it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just this misconception. I, like I, we were talking about offline, you know, the separation of church and state somehow like rolled over into like, you just don't talk about your faith and business <laughs> right. and, and vice versa. Right. And that's just not reality. So I love right. that you guys do that and you lead with that and you know, that's going to turn some people off and that's okay. But yep. right. when it comes to getting the right people on the bus and setting the culture for the type of company that you want to build, your vibe attracts your tribe, man. So yeah. you might as well, if that's who you are, <laughs> We, we didn't go into entrepreneurship to have somebody else tell us how to run our company and right. tell us what we should and shouldn't be saying, right? Yeah. That's, that's why we're entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. So, Well, it's just disingenuous to think that your faith wouldn't actually apply to every aspect of your life, including the leadership decisions you make, the you know where you move money around, how do you do investments, what kind of warranty you offer. Like your faith's going to inform all of those things. Yeah. And that word integrity comes from the word integer or whole number. Mm. So like to be an integrous person, you actually, it's, it's a holistic approach of I'm the same guy at my business as I am when I'm standing in the pulpit, as I am when I'm with my four-year-old tucking them in to bed, as I am on the, you know, when I'm preaching at the Capitol for a political government thing. Like for me, it's, it's integrating all of those things into who I am, what I believe and representing Christ well in every aspect as best we can. Well said. Yeah. Wow. I feel like we could just end the podcast on it. <laughs> that's it. That's incredible. But how do you do it? That's the question. Yeah. Well, yeah. How you do anything is how you do everything. And uh, it can be hard in business, man, because sometimes your employees, uh, man, they know how to pressure buttons, your customers, vice versa. And I had a moment last week where yeah. I, I lit some people up, man, and I'm not, uh, I'm a pretty calm dude most of the time. But when I do get frustrated and get loud, like it's, not pretty. And so, yeah. man, I instantly like had to repent and apologize for yeah. like, man, the way that I handled that was not cool. Um, wow. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. You know, because one hand you're like, oh, I'm this Christian guy. And then I just lit you up in front of everybody. Yeah. Um, man, that wasn't really a Christian. Wow. Well, one of, the, one wow. of the biggest mistakes that's bled into a lot of categories in Mighty Hand is Christian naivety mm. for us. Um uh, with me being the spearhead, you know, I, because the Christian values are so rooted, so deep and the love of money, you know, by God's grace is not the goal, right? You, most companies, they get, what's the goal? Make money. 
Mm. Um, but through that, with this naivety, we've picked up people that, oh, this person's amazing. Let's just sign and get really deep in bed with them in the company <laughs> and mm. finding out, oh, wait, not everyone mm. has is the who they motives. say they are and has the same motives and has yeah. the same um, and even with customers, oh my gosh, this is going to be incredible. They love us. We love them and getting taken advantage of and being shocked by it. <laughs> like, wait, I can't believe people yeah. do that. And then, you know, taking a lot of hard knocks on that side of the faith too. Yeah. Uh, by the time we get here and learning how to be shrewd and not hardened right. to the point where it's like you switch. Well, I'm not going to be generous. I'm not going right. to be trusting. I'm not, but yeah. learning to be shrewd and, and, Follow those red flags, you know, it's just it's taking like, a long time. It's like finding the fullness of being able to hold people accountable and lead well and hold the line, maybe without a fleshly outburst, you know, yeah. but, but being willing to be hard on things and, and lead the way on things while also being compassionate, understanding and kind without being a pushover. And I think that's been the tension for us is like, we want to represent Christ well in the marketplace. So we're going to be kind and offer benefits and offer second chances and give a lot of grace. And then we've realized, well, wait a second, if we're being taken advantage of, we're not stewarding the bottom line or our clients resources that they're paying us to get a job done. We're not being Christ-like. And so even though you might've erred on the side in that situation of being overly aggressive, the fact that you came back and repented, man, I just want to commend you. That's that in and of itself speaks volumes oh, yeah. and that that's something the world's not used to. And that's yeah. something I've seen in my parenting, something I've seen in business, even with the church, with the congregants is like, when I just come back and say, guys, I think I missed it here. Would you forgive me? That earns trust. And yeah. that, you know, can really set the sails for a whole new relationship moving forward. So way to go. Well, I, I want to talk about that. You said something specifically as it relates to being too trusting too early. Yes. Um, you know, I'm I'm a firm believer that you you give trust in order to receive it for sure. Yeah. But how do you guys ensure that people are living up to the expectation, holding the standard? How do you hold people accountable mm-hmm. while simultaneously trusting them? What are you doing differently? I guess. I mean, one of the things that's big is front end, and this is especially with the people you think you trust the most. Mm. I found like family members, friends. Like you need more things in writing than you do, honestly, with, with others yeah. um, because there's these assumed expectations. Oh, this Micah is my friend. He's going to cut me a deal on every corner. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, this guy's my friend. He's going to believe the best about me around every quarter. <laughs> and work uh, harder than anyone. And then yeah. <laughs> it can actually create more tension or, man, this guy's a pastor. This guy loves us. This guy's looking me in the eyes and saying, I respect you. I can follow you. And I'm like, oh, I want to promote this guy. And yeah, let's get it on paper, but not spelling out really clearly the expectations and um, being shy to be strong and say, actually, that doesn't work for me. Um, and so I think I've, I've learned from major mistakes that have cost the company and just tension and time uh, to be really clear with people and, and slow. To, you can trust people at different levels. Yeah. And one, one thing we've kind of laughed about is you know, not giving way to hopeism or, or hope, hope dope, <laughs> yep, you know, hope just dope. <laughs> like, basically being more results oriented, doing 90 day evals. And if the results aren't there being slightly more cutthroat and like holding people to what they committed to and actually realizing it's character development for them. It's yeah. not us, us being harsh or unchristlike to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say on the front end interview, 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 not just one, but do two, do three. If your gut's still not there, you know, get other people in the room, do another interview. I've been really, uh, proud of the fact that we've slowed that process down. Cause in the past, when you're like scrambling entrepreneurs, you can probably relate to this, especially in the early years. I need someone, I need someone yesterday yeah. to fill this role. Oh my gosh, you have half the skills I need and you, you know, present yourself well and you communicate and you align with most of the values. Boom, you're hired tomorrow <laughs> instead of like, wait a second. Cause that could cost you so much in the long run. I had a leadership coach tell me, I don't know how they figured out this algorithm, but when you hire someone and it doesn't work out in the, like, let's say, you know, you ended up having to let them go in that same calendar year, you'll burn through 25% of their annual salary just in training them to get up to speed. Yep. That's money like to the wind. Now, if they stay for three, five years, investment well spent. If you have to let them go after a year because it's just not working, like, man, you just burned a lot of cash to do that. Yeah. So we've definitely been more strategic on hiring. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, 
one of the lessons just for the listeners in my experience, I, I think at this juncture, I probably hired well over 500 people. Wow. At one point we were hiring at a clip of 150 people a year. So think about going like 90 with your hair on fire <laughs> and uh, you do exactly that because wow. you're, you're going for speed and you have this demand that you have scale. to scale. So two things we did. One, we started trying to create a more predictable hiring mechanism, right? Of like, Hey, based off of this growth, we're going to have this much in the pipeline. We know what our natural churn is going to be based off of historical value. Sure. So our net gain has to be this. So we're going to be heavy and it feels uncomfortable, but, the statistics don't lie. That was the first part. The second thing was uh, people, who sends you a bad resume? Right. <laughs> That's like, yes. it's like when a customer's like, hey, can I uh, see yeah. a couple of reviews? It's like, yeah, let me call a few people who hate my guts. I'll send them right over and they'll give you all. Right. No, they're going to send you all the best stuff, right? So you can't hire on resume. And it we, might even be accurate. Correct. But, but totally misleading. Yeah. You're like, oh, he's got a degree in construction management at uh, CSU. He spent time at uh, Savant Homes as a project manager. He's been doing his own basement remodels, and now he works for the city as the chief ins- uh, as one of the inspectors. Yeah, and he's a pastor. Like, oh, this guy. I literally didn't check, call check, any check, references. Check. Didn't even do. I'm like, this guy is in smooth talker. Biggest liar we ever hired. Yeah. So, how do you see through a resume? <laughs> So one, it's core values is the first piece of the puzzle, right? Like we can just stop the conversation right there. You can have all the other intangible skill sets, but if we don't align on what we believe is a company, then right. non-starter, right? Yeah. The The next part was just hiring for intangible skill sets. Most people have developed their their personality by the time they're 21. So I can teach you mm-hmm. how we sell. Mm-hmm. I can teach you how we do project management. I can teach you all that stuff. But I can't teach you to be humble, hungry, smart, gritty, competitive, and have personal Come on. That's good. <laughs> I can't teach you those things. You either have wow. those things or you don't. So how do you structure your interview in a way that actually helps you impart that information wow. about them? Because what do you know out. about competitive people? Competitive people always have a goal. So we used to ask a question like, what's the biggest goal that you ever set for yourself? Oh, I did X, Y, and Z thing, and I accomplished it. Great. The very next question was, what's next? Competitive wow. people always have they a, know. a next thing like, hey, this is the thing that I'm working on right now That's because good. it's just a part of how they're wired. So structuring an interview in that way helped us a ton to try to sift through the chaff and figure out who was really worth their weight and gold. Now, you're still going to make bad hires. You're just right. You're just reducing the probability of it. Um, you're not going to be perfect. Emotional, too. I remember I used to bring in my, <laughs> bring in my father-in-law at the time who in the morning – he loved everybody like this guy was awesome. <laughs> but if I took him into the interview in the afternoon, he was like kind of tired and burnt out. I was like, I didn't like him. You know, yeah. I'm like, this guy was great. What are you talking about? Based off of what it was all gut of how he was feeling. Right. Just got off a bad call, had a hard day or whatever. Wow. So I think it's important to take note of that. Anyways, I'm i uh, I'm totally hijacking this conversation. No, no it's, it's really informative, you know, and I think bad hires is just such a treacherous landmine field that we weren't expecting as young, naive entrepreneurs. Like well, it, and bad hires doesn't have to be the end of the world. And I'm speaking again to that Christian entrepreneur audience. It, it becomes a nightmare when you stick to your guns of being nice. Mm, wow. well, I have to keep this relationship. You know, something that Rob and I have, mm. have learned through some different coaching events we've gone through this year is you have to be willing to lose the relationship in order to gain it. Mm. So I, you don't have to fire someone the moment you get a bad hunch, but creating a space where it's like, Hey, I'm going to shift things. And I know this might cost the relationship, but I'm willing to lose it in order to gain what I actually want from you and not just keep believing you'll change, believing it'll get better, believing, but you don't have to fire immediately either. You create a space, you know, in conversation of expectations and resetting what those are that might just make them fire themselves. Mm -hmm. I I love that principle because it applies to respect, right? It applies to love. It's like, I'm willing to risk losing this because it seems treacherous. I'm about to go into a confrontational conversation. I'm about to disrupt status quo. I'm about to hold this person accountable. I'm about to get real. They might even have feedback for me. I might have to examine myself and where I've missed it in this relationship. And it feels scary, honestly, because there's something at stake. Yeah. But that's where, on the flip side, if you press through that conversation, you could earn respect. You could earn closeness, intimacy, let's say if it's with your wife or something. And you walk out of that conversation knowing the person better, having reforged commitments and having a whole new relationship, 
like, man, I'm so grateful I didn't avoid this conflict again. Yeah. So I think, man, so much of being CEOs or COOs, you know, we could talk more about our journey and our roles and how the company grew and stuff, but so much of it's been learning to not avoid conflict, to have oh the conversation gosh, yeah. that no one's wanting to have. Mm. You you said it earlier. It's actually easier when somebody's not a close relationship, and mm-hmm. I think that's because you don't want to mess it up. But there, the the rule is no hard conversation, right? Like if you show up fifteen <laughs> minutes late, it's like, hey man, we we don't show up fifteen minutes late. But if I let that go on for six months, and then I say, mm. dude, Rob, why are you always fifteen minutes late? You're like. Dude, I'm 15 minutes late every day. Like, why are you just saying that <laughs> right, now? Then right, it becomes yeah. a hard conversation, you know? So yeah. I think we do that as we're worried that we're going to mess it up, you know, but we yeah. just got to set that expectation. Well, especially away. when mm. you are legitimately a good person, a good boss who has great values and a vision worth getting behind, you're going to get people who respect you and like the company and want to be with you and even have friendship. You know, I've heard people say, don't make friends with your employees. I just totally disagree. Like every employee in my company, I deeply love. And that's where, which is a good thing, but learning what love looks like when having Mm. that hard conversation, like I can love you and fire you and learning, like learning that over the course of, of the years here, like actually that might be the most loving thing to do is to sit down and, and say, Hey, I actually had to say this to someone in our office this year is like, I want to repent to you for not loving you well by not telling you that you're really hard to talk to. And I'm so sorry I haven't told you that until now, but things got to change. Things got to change. And then I get to set expectations and that person anted up and has totally fit the bill. And it's like, Mm. I'm not going to assume that about people. It's also a judgment on our part, you know, as the CEO or the boss or the manager to say, if I have this conversation with this person, right. they're going to split. We they're make, not going to like we it. We make they're up react. a lot about how people will react. And then we project it into the future hypothetical conversation. And then it makes us more intimidated to oh, just yeah. go have it. It's like, let's just live in real time. Go talk to people. <laughs> I mean, this is what leadership is. But you, you know, just take a hit of the hope dope. Yeah. yeah. And it's an easy hit. It's like, you know what? Instead of having a hard conversation, I'll just smoke another hit of that hope dope. And hopefully they'll, they'll figure it out without my confrontation. Yeah, but I, I don't think entrepreneurs get into business to be leaders of leaders, to be people, to be recruiters, hires, you know, trainers, consultants, you know, although I've learned to love that aspect of it a lot. And that's what I really believe so much of business is, is that leadership category. But that's not originally why we get into it. I think for most of us, it's like, I just want to pay the bills and I'm pretty good at this thing. I mean, you know, some of the stats we were talking offline. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you said one thing, extreme ownership. So you can't control the other person. You can only control yourself and it takes two to tango if you let them get there, man. So that's Mm -hmm. awesome. I love that piece of advice. And I think leadership, at least how I initially always thought about it was it's this very top down Mm. I'm over you, but it's really multi-directional. There's a great book called Expanded Leadership. Have you guys read this? No. Uh, Mark Ramsey, City Point Church, started out of Australia, wrote this book. Might be the best leadership book I've ever read, seriously. But they come at it with this multi-dimensional approach. There's really four parts to it. So it's who I'm responsible over, who I'm responsible to, the big man when you're at the top, who am I responsible with, my other executives, and that makes it who I'm responsible for, which also includes myself, right? Mm. So multi, multi-directional leadership, nobody teaches you that stuff. You know what I mean? So we're, we, we just learn it trial by fire. Yeah. So, you know, I, that's why you're sitting at this table is because you're an entrepreneur. That's why it's called pain, pain. to profits, yes. right? It's like <laughs> yes. what, you know, you're looking back at this now and you're saying, no, hindsight's twenty twenty. If I had to go do that again, I would have never <laughs> done this, 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 and this. And that's what, if you're listening to this, we're trying to impart on you that, one of the things that I have instilled is everybody has a number because it's the only way that I can hold you accountable. Even if you're like a personal assistant, well, there's a certain number of times that you're supposed to check in with me every day. There's a certain number of emails that you're supposed to send every single day. And if you aren't living up to that expectation, then there the clear expectation, we can talk about it. If I want to change that expectation, then I need to give you a new set of goals or objectives right. to come after. Right. Nobody can hide the scorecard solves yeah. itself and Numbers don't lie. They don't lie. But we don't like looking at numbers. (laughs) It's not not about the conversations being easy, but I found that when you have really great, uh, clear expectations and a space, we're going to meet once a month or once a week and and ask these questions, you know, how's it going? I'm going to give you feedback. 
once a week. It actually creates a simple space where it doesn't have to be yes. like, oh, when do I tell you that you're not doing well? And yeah. how do I even grade that? We, we were and, getting trained for our company offsite and getting prepped and talking to a, a coach. And they were saying that a cadence of accountability mm. after the offsite, once you develop the SMART goals and the KPIs and the quarterly rocks, if you don't have the cadence of accountability like some sort of regular meeting where you review the numbers and you hold people accountable and you're all on the same page, then it doesn't, the plan doesn't matter. Right? doesn't matter. It's just implementation. Like 85% of strategic plans never actually work because they lack follow through because of the cadence of accountability. Well, it sounds like you were referencing EOS. You guys implement. Yes, EOS? Okay. partly. That's not our whole system, but that was, this coach was trained in that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're not wrong, man. People just put the plan out there and they hire these consultants. They never really embrace the operating system, make it their own, yep. which is great. Yep. I hope you guys have made it your own. And so it's like, oh, that was good. Bra, bra, I feel so warm and fuzzy yeah. now. <laughs> we don't actually subscribe to that or use that. We're not willing to make the changes to do it. So yeah. park it over here. Right. It's, and the 15% that do adopt this yes. new system, right? Yes. That's the difference. I call it yes. head nodding Christianity. It happens in the church all the time. Oh, yeah. We think that because we're nodding and agreeing with the preacher that we've done it. We've, mm. wow, I'm there. One of those. Uh, but the actual <laughs> living out and doing and following up with the things that we think we're doing just by talking about them yes. is a whole different, a whole different game. That's that's a huge leadership change for me too. I almost took offense just recently to someone giving me a compliment that you've really grown. Yeah, you've gotten <laughs> you've become such a better leader, and and how you're, you know, holding people accountable and actually creating systems of accountability. I'm like, wait, we've always. It's like, no, you're right. We used to talk about stuff, and I thought that meant that it changed. Yeah. Wow. I thought that meant wow. that it, it good, moved man. forward. <laughs> well, let's go. Let's talk about the partnership. So yeah. I think you were the original guy, if, yeah. I, if I remember yes. the story. And then you got a couple brothers involved as well. Uh -huh. How yeah. many? Two? Uh, two brothers. Two brothers. And then how did Rob come into the picture? Yeah. So I'll try to spare you the, the hours, hours version. Um, <laughs> we got, I, we got 60 minutes here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> 16 or 60. Yeah. Okay. 60 minutes okay. in total. for the Yeah. Well, um, honestly, both Rob and I never planned to do business and specifically construction. Mm. We plan to do ministry, to be pastors. We got degrees in it. That's what we got excited about. Um, I explicitly heard God call me into staying in construction I kept thinking it was going to beam me out into ministry. Were you um, working in like? Yeah, I was working someone? construction for my uncle. Got it. Okay. Um, and that's how, you know, my brothers uh, were also connected to that. And even when God called me and gave me a, a really clear call to move to Fort Collins and launch Mighty Hand Construction, I didn't think of it in terms of employees, 30 employees and okay. partnerships and millions of dollars. I just thought, oh, I'll do construction on the back of my truck. Um, and me and my brother, Jesse, can do some work. Well, uh, long story short, that's, um, I'd love to share the longer version. I'm really tempted, but, uh, we did start exploding and I needed help. I got receipts just flowing out of the filing cabinet in my kitchen. Right. I've got a F550 flatbed parked in the, the street and a van parked in the driveway and all this stuff. And, um, I called Rob who has had some business savvy experiences, you know, uh, manager of a few stores in Verizon. I thought, Hey, maybe he can just help me out for a short time, get a website going, organize my receipts. Um, but mighty hand just kept growing. Yeah. And, and we attribute that to God and, and obviously God through us, we're very charismatic leader, visionary people. And so people love following us, whether that's customers or employees, we were able to just keep growing the business. Um, yeah. and God kept opening new doors um, and in that process of partnership and me being a little bit business naive mixed with, and this is a positive eternal focus. I'm not worried about how much ownership I have. So I'm not in total regret over it, but I am dishing out ownership. Hey, you work for me for three years. Yeah. You get 1%, you get 5%, you get 10%, you get very generous <laughs> and got a few small investments. I mean, we spread ownership out, you know, um, like butter on toast, really great yeah. piece of toast. Um, hey, but it worked for me. And, and maybe there's some of those conversations that you look back now with some wisdom and think they could have been tweaked. But I mean, it, it motivated me, you know, for my story, I was youth ministry for a decade, uh, different churches, and kind of tripped into the marketplace because 
I wanted to make a living for my family. No, <laughs> no offense, youth pastors out there, you know, and some of them, <laughs> you know, make a better income than others, but, um, and it's, it's a noble calling. I loved it, but I needed to make some income. So I'm, sales and marketing was my dad's uh, niche. And so I sold shoes and then I sold tires and then I sold phones and I kind of worked my way up in Verizon over several years and became a multi-store manager. And that, that was a hot career for a long yeah, time. As yeah. Well. I was making a decent living and was loving it and was like, okay, maybe I could be a district manager, you know? And, and then Mike, I remember one day he's actually sitting in my Verizon store with his Bluetooth headset on and he's looking like a contractor yeah and he's making all these hey bill yeah it was right there it was like wow he's like a businessman what's going on and and then um actually it was really cool you never know what one encouraging word's gonna do because I, i had my former verizon manager come in and and just basically encourage me hey if you ever get the chance to work for a local business you should do it. I, I've left Verizon. I've left corporate and something about a family owned business and I have an ownership stake and it's just been incredible. And here's why. And that was like ringing in my head, right? Just that one encouragement when Micah said, Hey, I'd love for you to come on board, help me run the business. If you give me three years, I'll give you an equity stake in the company and we can really grow this thing. Let's see what happens. And the rest is history. I mean, I love the the scripture to have a greater return yes. on their work than one yes. and a three stranded cord is not easily broken. And so I appeal to the entrepreneurs out there. It's not for everyone. Sometimes you're supposed to be the sole proprietor, but what if God had a business partner for you, even if it's not 50, 50, even it's 10, 10% ownership that could unlock the future of your business. And I want to push that, you know, you said it's not for everybody and that may be true. I've never known the other way. Um, But it's actually not just true in business. It's true in life. Like we're, we're made to be married to be together, to create families. And yes, marriage is really hard the more selfish you and your partner are. Yeah. So when people say, well, business partnership isn't for me, I just wonder how not good they are at relating to people and being... uh, you know, focused on something beyond just them and themselves. That's good. Because while I've made some mistakes in dishing out ownership possibilities to people that I regret and was able to, to get back... Um, the ownership gives buy-in to the kind of person you're looking for. Right. The kind of person you want to help run your business wants to run a business. And so you know, part yeah, of getting good. someone that's signed up that's going to bring that level of leadership and charisma and salesmanship, whatever it is they have, is to give them a, a, a play in. But you know, you can overplay that too. And I've seen you know, my cousin's business uh, – not function well because he gave a huge portion of equity to someone that just didn't provide leadership and uh, charisma and, that, yeah. and, and skill and value. He just provided expertise in construction. Yeah. You might as well just hire a consultant. To do that. Right. Right. Yeah. It's uh, I agree with you. I, I don't firmly believe that anybody should, should, if they're trying to build a business, like we think about business, like to me, building a business is a lifestyle, right? It's, I'm in it for lifestyle design. I want more freedom of time, money, relationship, and ultimately purpose, right? I want more time to be involved in my community and my church. And so if I'm doing it myself, when I want to go on vacation with my family, guess what? Nobody's there to cover my, you know, there's no CYA for me, right? (laughs) So I'm doing it all on my own. Um, And there's a saying that I love and I reference it a lot, but if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? And you can't build anything great, if you don't have great people to build it with, right? Yeah. And so business is so much more fun when we're doing it together. Yeah. It's worth the bumps. It's worth like, the bumps. There will be, a, sign up for it. You know, me and Rob, even when we launched Spirit and Truth, uh, and I remember mentioning to him, I was like, hey, we're going to hit some bumps. Just want to make sure we're signed up for it in our relationship that the, probably something will come up, even though this is all dreamy and exciting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, at that point, I just want to know we're signed up to overcome those bumps together, yes. you know. As yeah. if leading a business together wasn't enough. We now lead a <laughs> church together as well, you know, but it works. It works. Yeah. And once you kind of learn each other and you learn the strengths and weaknesses, you can work around it. But then there's evolutions. You know, even now we're in a new evolution of what does it look like for me to step away from Mighty Hand, focus more on the church because the church is growing, and also do some coaching and consulting. And so embracing one of the part facets of emotional health in the book, Emotionally Healthy Leader, Pete Scazzaro, necessary endings to new beginnings. Yeah. It's really hard when you finally do find a rhythm and a friend and a 
marvelous comrade to tackle life and business with. It's how do you then turn the page of a new chapter? Yeah. And yeah. we're doing that. We're evolving the relationship rather than, you know, letting it devolve. We're evolving. So it's good. Yeah. Mm, that's good. So I, I'm going to ask this question. You don't have to answer it, but you have ownership. <laughs> yes. And so you're stepping out of the business. Are you retaining that ownership? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was a vested stake based on three years. I did four. Yeah. And so, yep, I'm keeping that. It's a little bit smaller than what we, when we first agreed, just because we moved some things around over the years. And sure, you know, we're still you sold a piece of. Yours. I sold a piece of it. Yep, which was a good thing for my family and kind of gave us a big, a little boost. So, no, that's beautiful. But, I just, um, it's always funny to me. One of the things that makes these relationships dematerialize is you know, somebody wants to leave because they're feeling called to do the next thing. And it's like, well, you're not on it with me. Then screw you. You right. know, we can't uh-huh. be friends anymore. <laughs> right. I want you out of the business entirely. And, yes. you know, and you really just cut your leg off to save your toe, forgetting <laughs> that like this person just gave you four years yeah. of their time, right. their most precious asset that wow. they can't get back, yeah. you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I've seen a lot of those relationships dematerialize so yeah. quickly. Yeah. Well, and, and not being insecure, it's it's a sign of insecurity if someone's leaving and you can't live without them. You know, I've wow. really had to learn that no one is irreplaceable, including me. Mm-hmm. That's the big one. It might feel like it, and there could be some truth to the fact that it'd be a big deal if I left the company or the company can't live without me right now. And yet no one is irreplaceable. And if you believe they're irreplaceable, they'll run you over. Yeah. They'll get what they want and you'll have a bad relationship versus Having a health, it's actually healthy for me to know that this guy who's crushing it, and if he left, it'd be it'd be hard. But if I believe he's irreplaceable, I'm going to treat him differently than he should be treated, and it'll be unhealthy for the relationship and the company. Yeah, yeah. Right. so you run out of leverage. I remember you came back from that training, and you kept telling me you have to be willing to play X to get Y. Kind of like a poker hand, you got to be willing to. If people think you're bluffing when you're trying to hold them accountable, like for instance, in this case. If you would never let this person go or never reprimand them because you think they're irreplaceable, well, then the whole relational dichotomy is set up for them to take advantage of you. Whereas if you're willing to play X, which is lose this person, right, then you can get Y out of them, which is better performance. Yeah. And that that leverage, even though it sounds like a, a harsh word, it was like that was an epiphany for me when you came back and shared that. It's healthy. I mean, I have a, a foreman in the company, and if, you, if you're listening to this, I doubt it, but um, I was going to talk to you about it anyway. Um, you know, he made it sound like he didn't make it sound like he said, no, I'm irreplaceable. Cause we're talking about how we made cuts. I was like, don't worry. I'd never cut you. And he's like, oh, I know you can't, you guys couldn't survive without me. I was like, actually we could. He said, nah, he's just like, he, he thought I was joking. Like you, there's no way you could make it without me. Yeah. And I want to follow up with him. Be like, Hey, I just want you to know that no one is irreplaceable. Yeah. And that'll actually be for his benefit. He is awesome. He's incredible. He's our best craftsman and everyone knows it. And if he wants to move on, yeah. we're not going to cry. Not going to cry. And it's also, it's also healthy too. It takes a level of pressure off too. Because I know for myself, I'm an incredibly loyal person, almost to a fault sometimes, or I'll, I'll stick it out for too long when it's unhealthy for me, which then ultimately turns into resentment. You don't want that either, right? You want that open and candid conversation. Yeah. Like, if you're not happy here anymore man, please tell me and like, let's just move on from it. Absolutely. It's tremendous to just watch you guys. I'm sure it hasn't been easy to try to navigate that situation. What was, when he told you, what was your initial like feeling? (laughs) When I took you out to dinner and I, no, 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 no. The most recent one where you emailed me. Oh yeah. Transition. You know, as funny as I could feel in your email that you were anticipating that it would, you know, be Mm -hmm. really rough. Um, but it was, how many times have you offered re- resignation from Mighty Hand? Yeah, I mean, you know? there's been v- many rounds where I was like, man, this is hard. Yeah, if I this guy keeps working here, I'm some out. of them, Some of them are more, more ultimatums of like, this isn't working for the business and I can't be a part of this. And then I think we made the right decisions and let those other people yeah. go. But this time was different. This was like, yeah. I'm ready to move on. Honestly, I just agreed and I had, I had even felt it like, man, Rob is amazing, but he's, and I would love him full time at Mighty Hand, but he's busy with the church. He's busy with higher purpose. He's busy with some of his other ventures. And I'm actually like spending money for him to, you know, reap the benefits and not, it just steam. felt like a mutual um, thing, but that doesn't mean there's not feelings you have to discard. 
Right. And I've trained myself to do that. Yeah. Uh, I had feelings over on the way here, you know, with Rob and I've told him this multiple times. I actually stopped and said, Lord, I just bless Rob. I thank you for him. Cause I'm starting to have a conversation with him. That's, that's not existing. It's a sure sign that like, yeah, he's going to come uh, in know, and just kind of grumpy. It was or he's going to say something about mighty hand that, you know, <laughs> but uh, I do, just in the short time that I've gotten to know you right now, I don't see that in your character. But man, isn't it amazing? That's just the the whispers that the, oh, yeah. the devil yeah. just likes. And you have to get rid of them. You, oh, you, re- you get over yourself. Remember, the world is bigger than you, bigger than this relationship, and and true, like love endures all things. Like if if I blow up on Rob and I hate him, and do, then I don't actually love him. Mm. Yeah, love endures all things. You know, and that doesn't mean gets walked over all things. That doesn't mean. Yeah. You know, you can't draw a line and say, hey, I'm not okay with this or the way this functions. Um, But we love each other. And I I genuinely believe the closer you are um, to Christ and abiding in him, the more you should expect that fruit to be there. Like I shouldn't lose myself over anything if I'm abiding in the vine. Mm -hmm. And if I do, it's okay. I can turn back. I can repent. Um, the but, more secure you are in Christ and who you're called to be, the less insecure you'll react when, you know, relationships shift. And I think one thing that's really helped us is the language of what I'm making up yes. is fill yeah. in the blank. Because we used to say, well, you're doing this, or I think you're doing that. And it was more accusatory, whereas now we've learned that language of, okay, what I'm making up in my mind is, you know, you just don't believe in mighty hand anymore. And, and from Micah to me or vice versa, man, what I'm making up is he just wants me to stay here forever. Or like he's like, we're going to lose our friendship. He doesn't <laughs> actually want the church and higher purpose to succeed. Like it could, you know, but when I say it with, this is what I'm making up. It disarms the other yeah. person. Yeah. Give rather the than other person space to clarify, to actually, you know, when we assume and we think we're right, we really do. And we think that the person's wrong, but simple statements like that, or starting off saying, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing. I'm not sure. I want you to give me feedback on this, but I feel like you've been this. Now you've just given them permission to speak into it instead of you are a this. Right. Um, and so it's it's created space between us to actually, which is ultimately just called humility, you yeah, know? Yeah. Is I'm, to I remember the when I took you guys out to dinner, I mean, because this was we're three and a half years in. This was this summer, and we've had a great run, and now we have a church together. And I'm, I know this will change the relational dynamic. And what I was making up about it is the friendship was really going to be strained. I don't know why. Like our friendship pre-existed Mighty Hand and it can exist post-Mighty Hand and it might not be the same like on the day-to-day, but it's surely the tensile strength is strong enough to withstand this. But in my mind, it was like the moment I tell him I really am moving on and I'm like, you know, I want to do coaching and consulting outside of construction like, I don't know. In my mind, it was like, we're just not going to have the respect or so the camaraderie. I can, and- I can relate to that though. <clears throat> you know, I spent yeah. 10 years helping grow up this massive company and finally had to leave um, because I just felt this calling to do more. And I was starting to internalize some resentment because I'm staying there doing something that I'm just not entirely happy with anymore. Uh, that's okay. Nothing wrong with that, you know? So I'm interested to know um, just hmm. how, like, what was that feeling for you? What was it that made you say, hey, I think I'm I'm ready for the next yeah, whatever? Great question. I know what mine is. Mine was, I never planned to be there for 10 years. And uh, it was an opportunity for me to go make a, a decent amount of money to, to then set me up to go do all these things that God put on my heart to do, you know? Yeah. And then every time we got close to that exit point, <laughs> the deadline, the, the goalpost moved. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know? <laughs> Which as an entrepreneur, I yeah. totally understand that, right? Yeah. Because it's like the vision gets bigger and you clarify it more. Yeah. Um, and you're used to the income, which is nice. And shifting requires you to, you know, maybe step out correct. into but the I, unknown. What was it for you? What was the... Uh, the first catalyst was uh, going to a coaching seminar uh, retreat called The Revenant. Shout out. You can check it out. And it really just sparked a hunger in me, soul searching in me, like what's my life about and what's my purpose for. But uh, really like yourself, it was never my intention to be Mighty Hand long term. It was I'm going to help my friend for the next three years build this construction company. And now I'm going on year four and I don't want to stay just out of comfort. I don't want to stay just because it's a good paycheck. Like, right. um, so part of it's the way I'm wired. I'm always looking at 
the more the blue sky potential is what my coach talk calls it. Um, but part of it was getting coaching, being challenged, seeking God, asking the Holy Spirit. Um, but then ultimately, like knowing my purpose is to break the chains of my family and uh, and my forefathers with adultery, alcohol, and abuse, to make a new chain of legacy, faith, family, and finance. And so that's like my at home purpose. And then my purpose in the marketplace is to, you know, inspire others to be all that they're called to be. I remember one of my coaches was working with me and he said, after we did all these personality assessments and all these different tools, and he said, Rob, you're, you're just not the person that's going to keep the gears of the world turning. You're a person that's going to reimagine the world with people to reform it and go after that change. And that just spoke to me. And I knew pastoring and coaching Coaching is basically like the for-profit side of, of pastoring. <laughs> yeah. you know? And I just knew that's what God was calling me to. I still don't have all the details. Um, so I'd say to boil it down, um, the intention and plan from the beginning of the partnership was pretty clear that it was temporary to, uh, if you do anything in the coaching uh, realm or consulting realm and you have those people in your life, they're going to call you beyond and call you to more. And then three, just the Holy Spirit. I mean, there was a time where I was telling Micah, I think I could do this for several more years. And, but I think he could sense there was almost like an, an apathy sinking in, like calling it contentment, but really just, you know, this, it was apathy disguised as contentment. Just, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Right. So this is, this is more on uh, understanding the, the function of your role versus what your gifting is. So is the COO, what is your data? What would your day-to-day look like? Well, actually most recently sales and marketing director. Yeah, I, okay. My journey was uh, operations manager where I, I'm, I just did so many different things from marketing to the bookkeeping to, and then I would just hire out different roles. Okay. I'd find a bookkeeper. Now I don't have to do as much as the finance. And then I would, you know, and then I was a project manager for a long time. We finally got enough project managers. I didn't have to do that. So, and I was COO with Micah leading uh, the company with him for at least a year and a half, I think. And then eventually found my niche, which was sales and marketing, which is what I've done. My whole background is in sales and marketing. And that's when I, I really started to come alive in the company even more. Um, and now it's shifting again to where I'm, I'll probably be on the board and consult the company, maybe do some coaching for the company. And, uh, but well, that, not maybe we're yeah, going to, we're going to pay Rob's coaching company to come in and do some coaching. Yeah. You know, what a great, I mean, what a great way to boost. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. Well, man. and, and on my side of it, I think what keeps me from turning it into something that would be unhealthy is slowing down. You got emotions. There's always emotion. The core is in motion. Yeah. Like one of my closest friends, partners, we've done intimately woven lives together for four years, wants to move on. So <laughs> there's going to be response. Yeah. But I stop, I take inventory. What's really going on for me? Because what might be coming up in my head might not even be reality. Mm. It's what's really going on. And when I take inventory, what's really going on is I actually feel the exact same way he does. I never planned on being here this long. Yeah. So it almost, there's mm. this feeling of it's not fair. He gets to move on and I have to carry this ship alone, mm. you know, which is a lie. I'm not alone, but those feelings can, can come against me when I'm aware of them. It's like, you know, it's no one owes me anything. And that's something that every one of us has to get stuck in our head. Yeah. Rob doesn't owe me anything. I don't own him. Yeah. I, I have to say that about all my employees Sometimes, like not all of them, but specifically in transitional moments or if someone's thinking about moving on, I just have to tell myself they don't belong to me. They belong to God. Mm. Like that I do not control them. And, and then ultimately I've got to have a vision and a company that's not hanging on the coattails of one person. So yeah. if Rob or anyone yeah. wants to move on, do I actually believe that this company was built by God and that it's for him? You know, and not make fear-based decisions. That being said, I did hold for many years. You asked, like, what was my day-to-day? I was holding more of the the business acumen, leadership, financial planning, um, you know, employee handbook policies, procedures. And Mike has really grown in that, you know, but that wasn't his niche to begin with. Um, And so you never know who's listening to this. Uh, That's still a category that we look at with Mighty Hand. We're like, man, we need someone who could come alongside this company and Micah 
and be a financial expert of construction, a CFO. We really yes, need please. More, we need <laughs> actually more of a CFO now because the Micah as CEO, I think, can also hold a lot of the COO things because he's grown in that and we have a lot of systems in place and software and stuff. But that financial controller, financial director, CFO, whatever you want to call it, um, that's still a wanted piece for our business. Yeah. I mean, it could be a game changer. Have, have you guys ever read the book Rocket Fuel? No. No. Okay. Both of you should read it. Just because what I'm sensing, so this dynamic that you have, mm-hmm. I sat in your seat. I also have sat in your seat. So I understand both. Um, in the book Rocket Fuel, it talks about there's two different key roles in a company. You have visionaries and you have integrators, right? Yeah. So your visionary sits at the top and they got nine ideas, 10 ideas a week. None of them are garbage. You need one really good one. You, that's what the visionary does. The integrator is like keeps the visionary at bay and simultaneously makes sure everything's orchestrated. Yep. You need that person as yes. the visionary. The problem is you're also a visionary. Yes. And so when you're a visionary who can't flex as visionary and yes. you just got to be the guy that's doing the orchestrating, the only way I can describe it to you is <laughs> it's kind of like being an incredible musician. You can play all the instruments, you can sing, you can, you're just dynamic. And I'm like, Rob, that's cool, man. We just need you to play bass and we're only going to do cover songs. You'd be like, (laughs) (laughs) okay, that's cool. I can do that. Uh, But man, (laughs) that's tough for me. So that's true. But that book was um, incredible because the vast majority of visionaries out there are not good at integration. Wow. And there's on a relative scale, according to what they've done, there's not enough integrators to support the amount of visionaries that are out there. And very few are both. They can do both of those things well. Sometimes you grow up into it. You have to be over time. But How do we develop integrators then? How do we find them? Because that resonates with me a lot. Um, so EOS, Gino Wickman wrote that book, uh, Rocket Fuel. They actually have like a portal now where you can go find integrators to kind of help hmm. run your business. I know that I can integrate, but, yeah. but it kind of... It kind of sucks the life out of me. Right. But when I'm Same. in full visionary seat and I'm like casting vision, speaking on people, getting up on stage, I'm like Tony Robbins, let's go. <laughs> I come home, you know, I'm energized. I'm up to like 10, 30, 11. But if I'm like back office, integrator stuff, 7, 30 rolls around, I put my girls to bed and I'm right behind them out yeah. cold. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's important just for entrepreneurs to just like really take inventory on their energy and understanding what gives them energy and what takes it away. And then that's a, a good signal of like, okay, that's actually something I need to delegate. That's, I need to find somebody to fill that role so I can elevate to what my sweet spot is and get everybody in the right seat. So good. I I read a book leading on empty, Mm. um, more geared towards ministry, but he he talks about that. He's a pastor, Wayne Cadero, um, from new hope. Uh, and he talks about the things, the drainers, right. And the fuelers. And so very similar and even applied it to marriage too, of there are things that, drain us and we don't even always realize it, but taking inventory of those energy levels, it doesn't mean you can avoid everything in life that drains you. Right. But the more you know and are self-aware, you can also pivot to the things that fuel you to offset those things that drain you. And you can also delegate and find people to help you with the things that drain you more. Or, you know, God will shift your heart over time and the things that drain you actually start to fuel you. That can happen. Um, But I thought that was really insightful. Mm, So. So good. So what's the uh, what's the ten year vision for Mighty Hand today? Obviously, you just with a whole bunch of orchestration. Yeah. The past two the past two years have been crazy and turbulent. Twenty twenty three is looking like it might be a little tumultuous. Um, and the only thing we can do is game plan to try yep. to navigate yeah. it. Yeah. There's only one rule of the game in business: is there are no rules. Yeah, <laughs> so, survive. Yeah, yeah. Thrive. Well, this is what we came up with the offsite for a three to five year, um, and then I can just talk beyond it a little bit. Um, shout out, I do need an integrator. <laughs> um, in three to five years, here, let's, let's put the radio voice on. In three to five years, <laughs> Mighty Hand uh, Construction will produce 20 million annual revenue with robust commercial and residential projects, mm. netting a profit of 10% after employee bonuses and tithing with a company of individuals on fire and mature in their faith where employee retention benefits and pay exceed our competitors. And we partner with mighty hand ministries to build homes for those who otherwise couldn't afford it. Mm. 
That's good. That's that's a big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> Seriously, well, I'm man. big and hairy. Hey, you are. If you're not watching this, you're just listening to this. I have. I got a pretty sweet beard, but Micah's beard is giving me envy. How long is it taking you to grow that? Um, I think this one is eight months. Jeez. So we'll see. <laughs> I've, I've never actually taken it a full year. So I'm going a full. I just trim it back to about your length, and then I keep going. high school football. We had these. Grown men called the Applegate brothers that just their, <laughs> oh, their yeah. hair intimidates. What's, what's your nationality? Uh, it's a mix. My mom is half Cuban. Okay. So I don't know if I picked that up there. She's the one that's got the mix. My dad's just white. Yeah. And of course, he's got that European. 1% African yeah. uh, thing going on, which apparently everybody's 1% African somehow. That's what yeah. they say. But um, but yeah, the, the vision, three to five years, um, it's, it's even. It can be even more than that. Like Mighty Hand Ministries, it says to build homes for those who otherwise couldn't afford it. Uh, this is a Lord willing project that I'm, I'm stepping out towards, but yep. Mighty Hand Ministries may also fund missions. Like for example, we're sending, uh, I think it's a group of five or 10 of our employees. I don't remember how many actually. Depends are on how many. With. Yeah. Well, um, it depends on how many. But to Bolivia with. and we're going to be, building a church for an orphanage out there and helping with some evangelism in the area. Wow. Mighty Hand Ministries could fund that. And we, I already have other credible ideas and opportunities like in the Philippines. Yeah. And um, we also would, through Mighty Hand Ministries, fund discipleship. So someone could pay toward a salary of someone that actually takes a lot of time to slow down, like a disciple chaplain. them in the trades, but also disciple their their life gives it. We're going to pay a higher purpose to bring life coaching to a few people in our company uh, this year. So uh, Mighty Hand Ministries, we believe will be a big part of what we do. But another is I've had some really cool opportunities pop up this year for being behind what God is doing. So uh, for example, if we can build this health clinic for crisis pregnancies and women, um, that would be incredible. It's like a kingdom venture for us. If we could help this Christian high school uh, partner with them, you know, a, a lot of it is is big, long conversations, but really big projects that we'd love to get behind. Um, and of course, continue our residential remodeling and additions, not necessarily because of how profitable and exciting they are, but that's part of who we are. We want to be in people's homes in Northern Colorado because right. part of our mission is to bring revival to Northern Colorado. Um, so, and then the last piece got to throw in there. Um, we, we've been working on making my vision less ambiguous, uh, but, uh, build a house that cannot be shaken. What that really expresses out for our company is building what lasts forever, building towards eternity. Um, in Corinthians, it says that one day all of our work will be tested. Everything we've done, everything we do, all of our relationships by fire. As Christians, we know by God's grace, we're uh, welcomed into his kingdom, but our life will be tested. And what was done for self, even ministry, what was done for self, mm-hmm. what was done uh, not for God, not for others, not out of love, faith, and hope will burn up. And so part of our company vision is to create a team of people who are building lives that last forever yeah, good. and together building a company that lasts forever. Um, and obviously the company itself and how many millions we do and the homes aren't going to last forever, but uh, the culture we built and what came through it. So, but you know, building a house that can't be shaken is also a play on words because yes. we want to build homes that really stand the test of time. I just yeah. wrote it on Quality. the whiteboard this yeah. morning. All these promises over mighty hand, you should check it out, Rob. And one of them is a warranty. I just think this would be amazing if a warranty that actually adds sellability because of how well-known it is mm. like a sticker, like, Oh, like, this is a, this house has a you mighty, got a hand mighty hand home. That's homes worth more because it's just, everyone knows. Yeah. Quality. You know? So that's, that's the big hairy vision. Yeah. No, from, it's good. It's clear the, to me. It didn't sound too ambiguous to me. I think, right I think <clears throat> sometimes I ask people what their big hairy audacious goal is and uh, they don't have one. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just, I kind of like to look at the year by year and, and that's great, but man, it's really hard to build a an incredible company if you don't have a vision because who's going to get on board for that vision? Like, hey, you know, we're just trying to get by and we're looking year by year. You right. know, it's like, right. oh, sign me up. Sounds so exciting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can't wait right. to do that, you know? So it's incredibly important <laughs> to have a vision, not only so you're oriented on where you're going, uh, but so other people can be bought into the yes. mission and vision as well. We're going to roll that out at our 
annual Christmas party. Let's go. I'm really excited. The That was the vision he just read. There's also the six to 12 month mission, if you will. Yep. Um, what, what needs to get done? What needs to get done pace to rate. get there. Right. And it's really clear. It's really thorough. It's And then there's SMART goals uh, for each element of the mission. Then there's two SMART goals for each, you know. So SMART, obviously, you guys probably know this, but, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, realistically high, and time-bound. That's how a real goal is, is achieved. But what I loved about the offsite was this Mighty Hand Ministries would be the idea. I just got to give a shout-out to this because it's really an awesome idea that we're going after here because we realize there's so much on our heart to do build homes either at a discount or at cost or all the way free yep. for people that can't afford it, continue to do global missions and build orphanages and, and things overseas, and then continue to hire people and disciple people that wouldn't necessarily make the cut if we were only for profit right. thinking, you know, guys out of harvest farms, guys that are getting their life back together. And we thought, man, we can't just continue to eat through all the company profits to do these sort of missions ministry endeavors that we want to do. We got to think outside the box. And we're, we're looking at different things like the chosen where they have a for-profit, you know, video side, and then they have a nonprofit pay it forward side. And we just, we're talking to our different coaches and we've thought about this for years. Like what if we had a (laughs) nonprofit ministry that fundraised that could actually then that ministry pays for the home. So they pay mighty hand, but mighty hand can actually build this home without going out of business. We can build this home, pay our guys a living wage, make it a little bit of money. And yet the house was actually built and fundraised through the ministry and we can give it away. And we already have some few candidates in mind. Yeah. You know, so I'm really, really excited about it. I love that. That's the big picture stuff that people get excited about. So I encourage you guys to continue to do that. I know it's been a lot. It's been a journey. It's cool to watch you guys operate, maintain your friendship. I'm excited to see what happens uh, next for you guys. But let's just imagine that somebody's, scrolling through LinkedIn or whatever, TikTok or something, they see something uh, from you guys and they need, they're a late start entrepreneur. They're like, man, I really, I have this calling. I hear what these guys are doing and that's what it is for me. Just working a job doesn't get it done. I want to go create my own thing and I want to use that platform to make more impact. What piece of advice and or encouragement or wisdom would you give them? You go first. (laughs) Don't, live your life based in fear. Don't make fear-based decisions. Make wise decisions. Um, But to live without risk is to risk not living. So at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur, you're going to get bumps and bruises. You have to embrace the what-if, worst-case scenario possibilities. And you've got to have a vision that's worth dying for. Mm. And so if you have that, people will get behind you. Like when you're first starting out, like, oh man, like where am I going to get money? Where am I going to get $20,000? Where am I going to get someone that wants to partner with me? Well, if you have a vision that you actually believe in, you'd be surprised how many handshakes away you are from someone who would be really excited to give you an investment or to get behind it. So getting a real clear vision that that's actually worth getting up for, just like we talked about, have a vision that's just barely beyond reach without some help. Yeah. And, and someone will help if it's, if it's something that's actually beautiful, that has impact that someone can get behind and uh, take the risk, step out. I'll add to that. Nobody can get behind it if you're not out there actually doing it. And then the the fire actually model the way doing the work. So you can talk about it all day, but uh, trust is built on the back of integrity, intent, capability, and results. So you got to show up and do the work and you got to do it consistently because a lot of people are just making sure like, Oh, you know, he talks a good game, but what's he doing? Tons of people are talking a big game and then they quit. You know right, what I mean? Right. All right, Rob, your, your turn. For I would the camera. Yeah. I'd say be willing to be a number two, mm. be willing to be an integrator. Uh, if you have that skill set, and even if it's not forever, my entrepreneurial itch and, and zeal and skill set has been, you know, tested and increased and fanned into flame because I came alongside my friend. And so I would just say, you don't have to be the number one guy you could be. And maybe there's a season for that, but if you're really wanting to start something and just working, you know, for big corporate or whatever system you're in is not working for you, think about coming alongside a small family business and seeing how you can add fuel to that fire. Mm. 
That's so good. Can I invite you guys to something? You sure can. I don't know if I'll accept it. <laughs> invite it's us. Good. It's good. It's good. Okay. January, January 27th, 2023 from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. We're kicking off 2023 with a leadership summit. Yes. It's absolutely free. We're pouring back into our community of entrepreneurs. It's held over at City Point Church, which is where right I on. go to church. They're, they're gifting the space to us. My friend, Steven Stein, who owns uh, the two Chick-fil-A's up in uh, Northern Colorado. So we've got the Lord's Chicken there as well. Come on. <laughs> Come on. And there's going to be uh, four different speakers and just a lot of, a lot of just deep diving in faith and leadership and just preparing for 2023. And so I'd, lo- I'd love to just extend yes. that to you guys. Hey, you send guys me an invite. I'm actually, I'm actually signed up. Ooh. Because oh. I'm. I got the pain to profits email newsletter. I'm on the annual subscription. So you should shout out guys. Come on, get on. <laughs> Let's it. go. Michael, we'll add you to the list, man. That's okay. Right. Sounds good. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you tremendously for being here. You guys, uh, if you loved what these guys are saying and you want to follow along, we'll be sure to add their information in the show notes. And uh, we're excited to have you back in a year, both of you independently this next time. Yep. Just, yes. That's right. Care how you're crushing it. So thanks. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Right. See you guys. Thanks.